Thank you, Brother Jason. So good to see you this morning. So glad you were here. Many of you went to bed or woke up last night receiving an email from our pastor. And you came anyway. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. So we're glad to step in and, and assist our pastor. And we do pray and hope that uh, he's having a great time with his family. I know that uh, he wanted to go much earlier uh, and was not able to. And he's able to today. And, and we're glad for that. And uh, we pray safe travels, and we pray that he would be refreshed when he comes back and uh, ready to minister. And we're ready this morning to receive from the Word, right? We worshiped, and so our hearts are fallow ground now, and the Lord wants to plant a seed. He wants to plant his message in our hearts, and we want to go out and live that message. And so as you get your Bibles today, we're going to go to 1 Kings chapter 20. And if you want to jump ahead just a little bit, you can go to 1 Kings chapter 20 and then Matthew chapter 17, Mark chapter 9. And uh, we're just going to kind of stay in the chapter itself. And so in 1 Kings chapter 20, verse 28 says this, The man of God went to the king of Israel and said, This is what the Lord says. The Arameans have said, The Lord is a God of the hills, or mountains and not of the plains or valleys. So I will defeat this vast army for you, and then you will know that I am the Lord. I I don't know why, maybe it's just because I'm old school, but this morning I woke up with a song on my mind, and it was people. People need Jesus. And I just began to have this song going off in my head, and I hear Andre Crouch singing, Jesus is the answer for the world today. If he was here today with us, he would be singing that song because as we watch the news, as we watch the media, as we see another instance, another this, another that, Jesus is the only answer for the world today. I don't know how to appease people. I don't know how to make people feel better. I I can't do any of that on my own. All we can do is pray and say, Jesus, you are the only answer. And if we can keep our feet from slipping, if we can keep our eyes on Jesus and not on the things that are going on, we'll be okay. But people need Jesus. He is the only, only answer, and he is a God of the mountains and the valleys. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that. You know that God is a God of the mountains and the valleys. And what I'm saying is God is a God of the good times, the happy times, the exciting times, the joyful times. And then he's also still the God when I'm down in the valley and I don't know what to do. When I'm down there and I don't know how to pray. When I'm down there and I don't know what else is going on, he's still God. That's not changed. And so I heard a message not long ago, and I have to tell you, it it grieved my spirit because it's just not the word of God. Sometimes we want to preach or teach or uh, deliver half the word of God so we can all feel good about it, but we forget the rest of the word of God because we've got to have the whole story. And so I'll tell you right up front, sometimes on a Sunday morning, what you do is you turn on the TV and you get half the story from one person that's delivering the word. And then you've got to switch over to another uh, person that deliver the rest of the word. So you get the whole picture. I want to be the kind of minister like pastor is where he's going to deliver the whole picture. Because I heard a message not long ago that said, if you uh, aren't on the mountain all the time, if you're not happy all the time, if you're not joyful all the time, if you're not living in the clouds all the time, something's wrong with you. Something's wrong with your relationship with the Lord. You need to be on the mountaintop experiencing great things all the time. And I'm going, really? Uh, When Paul was in prison, what mountain was that prison on? Because we go through valleys. We go through difficult times. And I'm glad to know this morning that he's still God of both places. You know, uh, I think today, and, and uh, actually the person that pastor calls pastor, where my parents go to church in Oklahoma, he said this, and so I'll just kind of uh, repeat what he said. I wonder if we aren't going through a kind of tribulation in this world today where every Christian is being kind of forced to stand up and say, I stand for Jesus. Because we're the hateful crowd now. We're the intolerant crowd now. We're the ones that, you know, uh, 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 seem to be not giving in so that we can all get along together. And, and I wonder if we aren't being kind of put or tried by fire to say, I stand for Jesus no matter what. Now, I do not believe, and I sign my name to this every year, 
that I do not believe that we're going to go through the great tribulation. I don't believe that. I, I believe that, and I sign this my, my name to it every year to a document that says, I believe a rapture is imminent. It's about to happen. And after that comes a great tribulation of which I won't be here because I'm gone and you're going to be gone with us. But I do believe that we go through tribulation. And Jesus said that you don't have to fear when you go through tribulation because you will, but you can be of good cheer. You can be at peace because I've already overcome the world. And so God says, I'm the God of the mountains and the valleys. And just because you are going through a valley doesn't make you any less a Christian, doesn't make you any weaker or stronger. Either way, is if you're doing what you know to do, if you're praying, if you're in the word, if your eyes are focused on God and you're still going through the valley, he's just trying you by fire. He's bringing you through another circumstance so that you can get to the top of another mountain because that's what we do. We're living a life of mountaintop experiences and valley experiences. Man, I love those mountaintop experiences, though. I mean, I don't know if you guys, I used to live in, in, in northern New Mexico, and on our days off, we would just go right across the state line to Durango and go on up to Twilight Peak and Spud Mountain and all that up there. And when we took a vacation, you know, we went up to Pikes Peak, and, you know, we're 14,000 feet up there. Man, it's wonderful experience. I mean, I literally saw it snow in July. And there was still snow on the ground everywhere up on, and, and we went around Twilight Peak, and uh, if you miss the turn, you're in trouble because it's straight down a long, long ways. And so if you pull over to the side of the road and you kind of look down, you can see cars that didn't make the turn. I mean, you know, just mountaintop experiences. You can see forever. It's just beautiful, and you just love it. And when you get there, you go, man, it took a while to get here. It took a lot of twists and turns to get up here. Or if you went hiking, man, it took a lot of effort to get up here. And you got to stop and you got to sit down and you got to soak it in and you got to enjoy it. You know, you got to pull out your snacks and you got to get your water and you just got to sit down and relax and just enjoy it. And that's the way it is in a mountaintop experience, spiritually speaking. Man, when we go through a great worship time, when we go through a revival time, when we go to camp and we're on those mountaintop experiences and things are great, man, you just want to soak in the presence of the Lord. I don't want to go back down right now. You see how long it took you to get there? You see if I leave now, how far you've got to go? I want to stay up here and soak in the presence of the Lord. I don't want to go back down. Let's just stay right here. But you see, God is a God of the mountains and he's still got in the valley. It never changed. And so sometimes when we're, you know, God, where are you at? Uh, God, are you hearing my prayer? God, my prayers seem to be bouncing back at me from the ceiling. I'm not getting through. They're static or there's something going on. What is going on with my communication? Sometimes he seems a little quiet. And that's okay. Wait on him. Press in. Because he's still God. And so those mountaintop experiences you know, they're wonderful, but we also have to go through the valley. And so I begin to think about mountaintop experiences. I mean, we could talk today about Caleb. As Caleb went to Joshua and he said, I'm 85 years old, but the Lord promised me when I was 45 that that was going to be my mountain over there. Now give me that mountain. I'm just as strong as I was back then. The Lord promised it. Now I want that mountain. That'd be a good message today. Not going to talk about that one. Or we could talk about Abraham and Isaac. When Abraham looked over at his servant and said, we're going to go over there or up there, we will worship and then we will return. All the while knowing that Abraham was going to sacrifice his son. That's what was going on in his mind. And yet he's still trusting in God that we will return. That's a good message. Somebody I appreciate sometime. We could talk about Moses. I mean, how many, how many mountaintop experiences did Moses have when he saw the burning bush or here he is on the top of the mountain and the Lord said, I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to cover you with my hand because you wouldn't be able to live and see my glory completely. And so I'm going to just, you know, kind of shadow it a little bit and I'm going to announce my name as I parade right in front of you. Man, that would be an experience. What a mountaintop experience when his face begins to glow from the glory of the Lord and everybody doesn't want to look at him and they make him veil his face when he comes back down off that mountain. That'd be a good message. Mountaintop experiences. Flip over to Matthew chapter 17. And Matthew chapter 17 is a mountaintop experience. Jesus takes his disciples 
and he leaves nine disciples down at the bottom of the mountain in the valley. He takes three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and they go up to the top of the mountain. When they get to the top of the mountain for Peter, James, and John, it's the greatest experience they have ever, ever witnessed. Now listen, let's stop and think about that for just a second because they've seen some pretty incredible things. They've seen Jesus do some pretty incredible things by now. They have seen Jesus feed 5,000 men besides women and children and how many basketfuls they picked up. And then 4,000 men besides the women and children, how many basketfuls they picked up. They've seen Jesus raise people from the dead. They've seen him uh, make people walk that couldn't walk, deliver people that can't hear. Blind eyes are open. They've seen all kinds of things. And yet at the top of this mountain, here they are. And Jesus' face begins to glow. And his clothes begin to glow. I can't imagine their eyes. I can't imagine what's going on, the, 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 you know, the, the facial features that's going on as they begin to watch this and witness this. And Jesus is literally transfigured, transformed right in front of their very eyes. It is an incredible experience. And you know how Peter is. Peter is always kind of saying things without thinking it all the way through. And in the middle of that, Peter goes, Lord, it's good for us to be here. When he suddenly sees Moses and Elijah standing beside Jesus talking. And Peter goes, this is incredible. Lord, it's good for us to be here. Uh, allow me, Lord, to build three shelters, three tabernacles, three monuments for all of you. This is wonderful. You know, there's several thoughts to that. You know, maybe Peter just wanted to build a monument to the three of them. Why would that be wrong? Well, because he's equating two other guys with Jesus, and there's only one Lord. And, and some versions say a shelter or a tabernacle. Well, the, the situation with that is, uh, I want to stay right here, Jesus. We made it all the way to the top of this mountain. This is an incredible thing that's going on. I can't believe all that's happening. Let's just stay right here. Why go back down now? I'll build us a shelter. I'll build you guys a monument. Let's just stay right here. And all of a sudden, the word of God says there's this cloud. There's this presence. And all of a sudden, they hear this voice booming from heaven, and it says, this is my beloved son. This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. And those three disciples, they are so overcome with the power of his presence, with the power of the voice, with the power that is going on, that they fall over like dead men because it's just too much for them. I can't imagine what they were thinking. can't imagine what's going on in their minds. I wonder if Peter's going, did I say something wrong? Why did I do, you know, all, all the things that I can imagine. In my mind, if I was in their situation, what would be going on? And all of a sudden, they dare to finally open their eyes and look up, and they see Jesus standing there. It's just Jesus. He's not glowing anymore. It's just Jesus. It's their friend that they've known for a couple of years now. It's their friend that they've traveled with for so long now, seen so many things. It's just Jesus. And I imagine, you know, James and John going, it's always Peter. You know, all the kind of things that's going, I can't believe Peter said that. We knew that. It's just Jesus. We knew that he's greater than Moses and Elijah. We knew that he was the one. Wasn't it Peter? Wasn't it you, Peter, that says you are the Christ, the son of the living God? Isn't that you? How can you say one good thing and then turn around and say a boneheaded thing and all the kind of things that's going on between friends? They knew it was just Jesus. And yet I also imagine them saying, uh, but now that we're here, you know, now that we're up on the mountaintop, let's hang out for a while. Let's enjoy it for a while. Let's talk about this for a while. And then can you imagine the nine disciples that are at the bottom of the mountain in that valley? Man, I bet when they finally got together and they were able to have a real private conversation going on, how jealous those guys were. And they're going, yeah, you guys are up there on the mountain. You have no idea what's going on down here. Let us tell you about our experience. Because the word of God says that a father brought a son to the nine disciples. And the word of God literally says that this young man was demon possessed. He had all kinds of problems. And can you imagine what's going on through those nine disciples' minds when they do what Jesus has always done and it doesn't work? Can you imagine the arguments or the conversations that is going on between them? 
Can you imagine what the crowd is thinking? Can you imagine what the Pharisees are thinking when they're going, yeah, uh uh-huh, Jesus isn't here. You guys aren't so big and bad anymore now, are you? And the disciples are going, hey, this is how Jesus does it, right? Isn't this what Jesus says? Isn't this how this is supposed to work? Didn't Jesus promise us that in his name this is supposed to happen and it's not working? What's going on? And all of a sudden, you could say, you know, the first church, so to speak, of 12 disciples and Jesus Christ as pastor didn't look so good to the world that day. And I wonder if those non-disciples weren't going, man, the next time pastor's gone, I hope it's not like this. You know? And yet here they are, and that's not working for them. Those poor guys. We've got three disciples that don't want to come back down, and we've got nine disciples that wished they weren't there. Now let's go to 1 Kings chapter 20. In 1 Kings chapter 20, we have another story. We've got, you, you could say it's another church, so to speak, but it's a church that uh, denies the power thereof, so to speak. It's a cult now. This is God's chosen people, and yet the king, Ahab, is one of the worst kings ever in all of their history. He and his wife have instituted a cult religion. They've kind of taken the word of God and they've taken something else and something else and Baal and Asher and they've mixed it all together and they've created their own cult and worshiping and instilling and, and the people to do this in the kingdom of Syria, uh, Samaria. And so Ahab is a wicked, wicked, wicked king and so is his wife Jezebel. Wicked, wicked people. And there's another king named Benadad. Benadad is king of Syria or king of Aram, kingdom of Aram, however you want to say that. Syria is easier for me to say. And so he sees what a fake Ahab is. He takes 32 other kings. I don't know where they all came from, but 32 other kings. And so they've got a mass, mass army, and they come and they surround Samaria. And the Bible says that King Ahab, uh, King uh, Benadad sends a message to Ahab and says, listen, your gold and silver is mine. Everything you have is mine. Your wives are mine. Your children are mine. Everything is mine. And Benadad, being, uh, uh, Ahab being the, the wimp of a king that he is, Ahab goes, he sends a message back and says, whatever you say, you know, I, I can't win. I'm surrounded. You got way too many men for me. Yeah, whatever you say. And so the message gets to Benadad, and Benadad goes, man, this guy's a bigger wimp than I thought. So he sends another message back to King Ahab, and he says, guess what? Since you're so easy, let me tell you what my servants are going to do. I'm going to send my servants to your palace. I'm going to send my servants to your temple, and this is what they're going to do. It's Walmart. It's shopping time. It's the mall. They're going to walk in everything that you own and everything that they see and they want and they desire. They're just going to take it, just like they went to Walmart, and they're not going to pay for it. This is the best mall experience my servants have ever had and are ever going to have. They're going to take everything. And finally... Ahab gets a little bit of a backbone, and Ahab goes, uh, no, that's not going to happen. I'm, I'm paraphrasing, obviously. I'm running through the story really quickly. He sends him a message that, you know, uh, is not nice to Benadad, and Benadad is really, really upset. And now Benadad goes, and this army of over 100,000 men, and these 32 kings, they have surrounded the city. They've surrounded his palace. He can't possibly win in the natural. And he's got no hope because idols aren't going to help him. His religion and his cult is not going to help him. What is he going to do now? Have you ever, like, just dug a really deep hole for yourself because of your mistakes, and you found yourself in a valley that you just can't get out of? All of a sudden, you want to go, hey, hey, Lord, uh, I'm sorry about that. I repent. I'm praying. You know, you know I, I say that with, because I've done that before. I, I've had times in my past where God and I seemed a million miles apart, and, and I've tried to want to do the fire insurance kind of thing and say, if you just get me out of this situation, you know, I'll do, the, you know, the deal that we make with God sometimes. And so here's Ahab, and I imagine that's what's going on. And don't you know that he really, really, really appreciated when a prophet, an unnamed prophet in verse 13, comes and speaks to Ahab, and he says this. This is what the Lord says. Do you see this vast army? I will give it into your hand today, and then you will know that I am the Lord. Why in the world would God 
come through and intervene for the wickedest man that this kingdom has ever had. Why would God do that? For the sake of his name, for the sake of his honor, for the sake of his glory, for the sake of his children, for the sake of those children's children, for the sake of his people, even though they had fallen away, God says, I'm going to do this. And then you will know that I am still the Lord. You're worshiping the wrong thing. You're spending your time doing the wrong thing. You've taken your eyes off of me and you're looking the wrong direction. Look more towards me. And the Bible says that's exactly what happened. God used a a light army of Israelites, 7,000 men in all, to defeat all of these men, all of these kings. And God took Ahab and saved him from himself because he's a God of mercy. And after that battle, after God came through for them, the word of God says that same unnamed prophet goes up to Ahab and says this, hey, great victory the Lord brought in your life. Think about what he just did for you, paraphrasing, so to speak. And then he says this, but be ready, same time next year, he's going to try again. Same time next year, Benadad will try again. And then all of a sudden, the word of God gives us a little behind the scenes information going on in the tent or in the camp of Benadad. Benadad is sitting there and he's angry and he's mad. And I imagine he's drinking himself drunk. And all of a sudden, his advisors come up to him and they begin to console him. They begin to talk to him and whisper to him and say, hey, you know, that wasn't your fault that you lost. Hey, you know, that wasn't your fault that you lost. It was those 32 other kings that you had. They were all drunk when they should have been fighting. Matter of fact, we don't need those kind of kings fighting for us. Matter of fact, we don't need kings at all. Let's just get commanders. Let's get real warriors. Let's get real army guys. And then we'll go and we'll surround his uh, Samaria again, and we'll take that kingdom, and you'll win, and you'll be victorious. And then they said this, but you know, All of those things, we got to do that. But the real reason that we lost is because their God is a God of the hills and the mountains. The real reason that we lost is because their God is a God of the hills and the mountains. What we really need to do is draw them out to the valley. And if we fight them in the valley with this vast army that you're going to have same time next year, we're going to defeat those guys. No problem, because their God will be up in the mountains and he can't come down and help us down the help them down the valley. And we're going to win and we'll be victorious. And Ahab began to or Benadad began to think about that. I knew I'd get their names back and forth. You know, it's just Ahab, Ben-Hadad, it's, you know, anyway. And so here they are. Benadad's thinking about this. Yeah. I need to try this. That sounds like a good idea. Their God won't be able to help them. And so while we leave Benadad chewing on that and thinking about that, we'll go to Matthew chapter 17 again. The church isn't looking so good. Three disciples want to stay on the mountaintop, don't want to go back down. Nine disciples have encountered the power of hell, and they need some help and don't know what to do. Mark chapter 9 gives us a little more information in the story, and I love the conversation that when Jesus finally shows up on the scene, he has with his father. You see, Jesus is showing those three disciples that you can't stay on the mountaintop forever. There are more people that need to hear the word of God. There are more people that need to be ministered to. There are people down in the valley that you have the answer for, and you need to deliver the message. There are more people, more victories to be won, more battles to be fought, more things to be done down in the valley. And so Jesus' teaching moment for these three disciples as they come down off the mountain. And this father comes up to Jesus. And he begins to explain the situation. I brought my son to your disciples, but they just couldn't help. Nobody seems to be able to help me. I don't know what else to do. And he goes up to Jesus and he says, if you can do anything, help us. If you can do anything, help us. And Jesus says, what do you mean if you can? All things are possible to him who believes. All things are possible to him who believes. And then the father says something that makes so much sense to me. It makes so much sense to me. He says this. 
Now think about all that he's seen. Think about all that has happened to his son. Imagine, most of you that are parents, you've got children, you do anything in the world for them. I'd do anything in the world for my daughter. I would keep her from harm and, and put my life on it anytime without even questioning, and so would you. And I can imagine this father, he's seen so much. He's tried everything he knows. He's been to everybody who supposedly could help him, and nothing has ever happened how much faith could he really possibly have at this point? And he says, look, if you can. And Jesus says, if anything's possible to him who believes. And I imagine that father's going, that's easy for you to say, but do you know everything that I've seen and been through? What's going on in my life? And yet he's still holding on to that small kernel of truth, that small hope on the stories that he's heard that this man, he could do it. Everybody else has failed, but this man, he might possibly be the only one. And he says, Lord, I believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Have you ever been there before? It's not that I don't think you can, God. It's not that I don't think you have the power to do it. I know you do because I've seen it. I've heard the stories. I've heard the testimonies. I know you have the power to do it, but it's been so long. I've been waiting for so long, and it's not happened. What do I do? I believe you can, but in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, will you? Will you? Is it still going to be a trial experience for me? Do I have to walk through another valley to get the miracle? What do I have to do to get you to answer my prayer? How long will it be? When will it happen? You know, all the questions that we ask, humanly speaking. I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. And Jesus, he hears this prayer. That's what it is. It's a prayer. He hears this prayer, and the Bible says that Jesus takes this young man, and he casts the demon out of this boy, and everybody is amazed at what happened because this young man is now in his right mind. He can hear. He can speak. He doesn't have a demon. Everything is great. It's awesome. And the disciples come up to him later, and they said, why couldn't we do that? We did everything you told us to do, and it didn't happen. How come we couldn't do that? And Jesus said, you can but you've got to be ready to minister at any moment, any time. You've got to pray and fast. When the situation arrives, you can't go, oh, I should have been praying and fasting. We've got to be ready any time as a Christian, not as a pastor, as Christians, because the world that we're living in right now, we've got to be ready because Jesus is the only hope. He's the only answer. And so Jesus brought hope to a dark and hopeless situation. He was ready to minister. And he had enjoyed that mountaintop experience just as much as Peter, James, and John. And yet he was the one that led them back down off the mountain because you can't stay on the mountain forever. There's more battles to be won. There's more trials to walk through. And until he comes, that's what we'll be doing as well. Enjoy the mountaintop and enjoy the valley because there will be another mountaintop experience. Until he comes. First Kings chapter 20, let's end this story. We know that, uh, again, Benadad comes. He's got commanders this time. He doesn't have those 32 other kings. He's just got the army. He's got over 100,000 men, and Ahab is vastly outnumbered. And God sends word once again, verse 28. This is our text this morning. God sends word to Ahab and says this. This is what the Lord says. Because the Arameans or the Syrians think the Lord is the God of the hills and not a God of the valleys, I will deliver this vast army into your hand, and you will know that I am the Lord. And so Benedad thinks that he's got it. He's planned this out. We're down in the valley now. We're going to, can you imagine how just crazy that sounds? He really thinks that God is a God of the mountains, and he can't come down to help. And can you imagine just how crazy that sounds? That sounds ludicrous. 
You know, you read through the Bible and you go, how could they worship this stone idol? How could they think this stone idol that has no moving hands, no moving mouth, how can they think that that thing's really going to help them? Why would you spend your time worshiping that? In today's world, we think that's crazy. What was going on in their minds? And yet, let's be honest this morning. Have you ever been in the valley and you really wondered if God could help you? We're not that much different. And so here they are again in the valley this time. And yet God sends word and says, they say that I'm only a God of the mountain, but I'm a God of the valleys as well. And the word of God says that God came through again for them. The word of God says 100,000 Arameans were routed. And the word of God says that a wall fell on 27,000 of them. And Benadad is so afraid that he runs away and he hides in an inner room, hoping that no one would ever found, find him because God did it again because he's God of the good times, the bad times, the happy times, the sad times. He's God of the mountain and he's God of the valley. And so he came through again for the honor of his name because he is the shepherd of his people. Don't you know today that we need a real shepherd for our country? We, and I can't promise you that any of the guys that's hoping to be in charge in the near future would do that. But we do that. We need a shepherd. We need somebody that believes in prayer. We need somebody that could bring our country together. I don't know. It's only through prayer. It's only through the word of God. It's only through Jesus. Jesus is a shepherd of the mountains and the valleys. And so I begin to think about the kind of valleys that we might go through, the kind of valleys that you might find yourself in this morning. I don't know what kind of week it's been for you, but it's been a long week for me. I don't know what kind of week you're going to face this next week and what it might bring. No one ever thought this year would bring the kind of things that it's brought to our country. No one would have ever thought that we'd be in the kind of valley that we're in in our country this morning kind of valley would we find ourselves in or what kind of valley do you find yourself in today? And the word of God mentions quite a few valleys, but let's talk real briefly about three of them quickly. Number one, the first thing that I think of is the valley of Baca. The valley of Baca, B-A-C-A, B-A-K-A, depending on <clears throat> which translation that you read. Baca literally means weeping. The valley of weeping. A lot of people assume that the literal valley of Baca, the literal valley of weeping, is it gets its name from the balsam trees there, that they ooze a tear-like resin. And as far back as history records, it's always been known as the valley of weeping. But the Word of God says in Psalm 84, it says this, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on their pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. Another translation says this, when they walk through the valley of weeping, it will become a place of refreshing springs. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. When I'm going through the valley of weeping, when I don't know how to pray, when I don't know what to do, but I'm still holding on as best I can, know that God is going to bring me through the valley to go back up to the mountain, even though I'm in the valley of weeping. But while I'm down there, let's just take some time and let's turn the valley of weeping into a valley of life-giving springs where I can be refreshed in the presence of the Lord. The word of God says that your mourning will turn to joy, sorrow into serenity, and pain and to peace, even in the valley of Baca. Some of you know my uh, condition that I've had ever since I was 13 years old. I've had this condition from a tumor or surgery. My eye, the only eye that I can see out of very good at all, it does not tear. It does not cry. It does not produce tears. Man, I've spent so much money on teardrops. And this very question, this very prayer has always been, Lord, I know you can. When are you going to do it? I can't make it happen, you know. Doctors can't make it happen. Believe me, we've tried so many of them. But he doesn't mean he's not able. And I still hold on, and I still walk through the valley, and I'm looking forward to a mountaintop experience. But there's something about that precious tear. The times when I need to weep, 
the times when I need to weep before the Lord, the times when I need to refresh my spirit, the times when I need to get out whatever is in your heart. You know what? It's, there, there's something special about tears. God gave you tears for a reason. The Word of God says in Revelation that he bottles up every tear. He's going to use it for a special purpose down the road. I tell the Lord, you can't bottle it up if you don't have them flowing. You know? So we have conversations. But there's something about being in the valley of weeping. Go ahead and weep. Because it is a cleansing moment, God working inside your heart. Isn't that a mountaintop experience when you're in the presence of the Lord and all you can do is weep? What a special, special time. That's what the Word of God says if you're in the valley of weeping. You know, the Word of God says this, when you're in the valley, He makes me lie down in green pastures and He restores my soul. The second valley that I think of is the Valley of Achor. The Valley of Achor. The Valley of Achor is known as the Valley of Trouble because it's associated with the sin of Achan. And we actually talked about the sin of Achan not long ago in our kids' presentations. We know that Achan was the man who, when the walls fell, we talked about the walls. When the walls fell, Achan went in and he took some of the devoted things that he was not supposed to take. He took some of the garments, he took some of the gold, he took some of the silver, and he hid it in underneath his tent. And because he sinned against the Lord, Achan had to give his life, and the word of God says not just him, but his family as well. They buried him in the valley of Achor. They put rocks all over his body, buried him in the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble. Have you ever found yourself in a valley of trouble? Lord, what did I get myself into now? What's going on now? How can I get out of this? I can't believe I allowed all. It doesn't matter how you got there, but you're there now. What can I do? Lord, I'm in the valley of Achor, valley of broken relationships, valley of broken disappointments, valley of grief, valley of straying children or sickness, whatever the problem, whatever the trouble may be. But God says this to the prophet Hosea. He says this, I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Even in the midst of the valley of Achor, the Lord says, I'm going to provide hope for you. Your valley is just a valley. Keep going. There's another experience. There's a door. Walk through that door of hope. When it's too great to deal with, when I don't know what to do, when all I can see is the mountain in the distance, but I can't get there, the word of God says, I've got a door. Walk through it. I've got hope for you. Walk through that door of hope. And then perhaps the most famous valley that we could talk about this morning, number three, the valley of the shadow of death. The valley of the shadow of death. Psalm 23 says this, verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Fear with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I've never had the privilege of going to Israel. I've never got to see all these things firsthand. I've read about them, and I've looked at so many pictures, and I've heard the stories from pastor, and many of you that have been, my brother has been, and many of our friends that have been over there, I came across an article years ago from our former superintendent, George Wood, and he writes this. In Palestine, the valley of the shadow of death is a very real place. The path through this valley is very narrow, and edges drop off to more than 1,500 feet. The path is so narrow that sheep cannot turn around. It is said about halfway through, the path is cut in two by a deep gully. One section is higher than the other by almost two feet. So the sheep must jump across to continue on. The shepherd must literally force the sheep to move forward and across and lift the smaller ones over. If the sheep fall into the gully, he uses his staff with the shepherd hook to lift them back up. There are wild animals in this area and they prey on the sheep and the shepherd then uses his staff to protect them. Listen to this. If the shepherd is near, the sheep have no fear of walking through the valley of the shadow of death. If the shepherd is near, I have no fear, even in the valley of the shadow of death. In a book, a writer named Kenneth Wilson, he says this. He grew up the youngest in a large family. 
Because there were not enough bedrooms, Kenneth slept in the attic. He tells of how when he was just a young boy, up the stairs and in the attic, it seemed like a long journey. No electricity, no gas light. There was no lighting whatsoever at night. Once he was in bed, he writes, that room seemed to be at the end of the earth, close to the most unexplained noises and dark secrets. He says, my father would try to stop the windows from rattling just by wedging matchsticks into the cracks, but they rattled in spite of his efforts. Sometimes he'd read me a story, but inevitably by the time would come that it was time for him to leave and shut the door. He said, I could hear the footsteps on the stairs growing fainter and fainter, and then all would be quiet except for the rattling windows, and my imagination would sometimes get the best of me. He said, I remember once my father talking to me. He said, would you rather me make a way to have a light on up here and me be gone, or would you rather me stay here with you in the dark? He said, I chose it every time. Dad, just stay. He said, I chose his presence over being in the light. I would choose being in his presence any day of the week. I want to be his presence. I don't know, we've learned a lot of things over the last four or five months. We've learned that we don't have to go to the movies. We've learned that we don't have to have sports. Oh man, that one really got me for a while. We've learned a lot of things that we can live without, evidently, these last few months. A long, long time ago when they didn't have all the things that we're saying we're missing today, we've learned that we've lived without. When people would go out or people would do something for fun, they often went to a theater, not for a movie, but they went to a theater to hear an orator. Some of these younger people in here today, they don't know what an orator was. It's a person that has a really, really good voice. And he just quotes poems or he quotes parts of the Bible. And he just, people would just come from miles and miles around to buy a ticket to come in and sit in a theater just to hear them talk. And there was one famous order. And he did all these incredible voices and delivered all these poems and everybody was clapping for him and it was such a wonderful experience for the crowd that was there in that theater on that day and finally he comes to his finale and he says I'm going to quote for you Psalm 23 and so with his deep and his polished voice and we put Psalm 23 on the screen let's all say it together you know what it only works for me if we say it in the King James Version So it says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And man, when he quoted that, the newspaper articles and the stories were, man, that people stood on their feet and they were clapping and they were cheering because he did it with such gusto and such an incredible voice and it was such a wonderful experience and they were demanding, encore, 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 do it again. And finally, the crowd quieted back down and they sat back down in their chair. And he said, you enjoyed me delivering that speech, but now I want my pastor to come and I want him to deliver the same speech. And they looked up and here comes this elderly man. Must have been a pastor for quite a while as he's feeble and he could barely get up the steps to the platform. He feebly walks across the platform and they didn't have microphones back then. And he could barely stand in front of the crowd as he begins to quote Psalm 23 one more time. And he begins to 
quote those words. And he comes to verse six and he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It was quiet. Nobody was clapping and nobody was cheering. The stories say that tears were coming out of everybody's eyes. There was a quiet reverence that was going on. This famous orator, he walks back to the platform. He puts his arm around his pastor and he says, when I quoted the Psalm 23, you clapped and you cheered and you demanded an encore. I brought you an encore, but do you know the reason why you clapped for me and cheered, but you wept when my pastor quoted it? What was the difference? What makes the difference in clapping for me but crying when he does it? What's the difference? He says, I can honestly tell you, and this tells you all you need to know about this man. He says, I know the psalm really well. But my pastor, he knows that shepherd really well. And this morning, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what kind of valley you're experiencing. I hope you're on the mountaintop. And if you're there, enjoy it. Soak it up. Have a great time. Get prepared to come down sometime. But if you're going through that valley, there's hope. There's a door. There's springs. Refresh yourself. Lie down in green pastures. Let him restore your soul. Get your eyes off the media. Look to Jesus. He's the hope. This bower has this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Holy Spirit, thank you for your word this morning. Holy Spirit, touch your people this morning. Speak hope to hearts this morning. God, I pray that you would bring strength to hearts this morning. God, even if it's not people that are in this room, God, watching, Lord, over the internet, God, watching somewhere down the road in the future, Lord, maybe it's even people that's not watching today, Lord, we pray for our country because we need that door of hope. We are in a valley of trouble. There are people who are in a valley of weeping, Lord, literally the valley of the shadow of death, we can't see those other things. Help us to see you. Be with us. Comfort us. Speak to our hearts today as we hold on to you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we give you praise. You're king forever. You're king forever. Not just of the good times, Lord, but the tough times. Not just a God of the mountains, Lord, but a God of the valleys. But not just God, you're my shepherd in the mountain times. You're my shepherd, Lord, in the valley times. You watch over me. And I thank you for the goodness and the mercy that follow me all the days of my life. As I dwell in your presence and want to be where you are. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I want to encourage you this morning to stand. I wish we could all come to the front and hug and shake hands and all those kind of things. We're getting there. We're getting there. want to announce that we are going to have kids' church next week. We will be having kids' church in the building next door next week, next Sunday. We're going to uh, probably have to take the temperature of the kids and and those kind of things, and just kind of meet some requirements, but we're definitely going to have kids' church next week. But this morning, since we can't do that, and we've spent some time in prayer, let's just worship one more time. Can we just spend one more time in worship? Wherever you find yourself this morning, whatever valley you find yourself in today, could you lift your hands up and find strength in Him? 
Whatever it is that you're going through today, as we sing this song, as we worship him, just one more time, let's lift him up and say, Lord, I give my problems to you. Lord, I need that door of hope. Lord, I find myself in the valley of weeping. Maybe, God, I'm just tired of weeping. Lord, I'm spent. And God, I'm ready for the refreshing. And I need to know that you're here, Lord, in the valley of the shadow of death. I'm tired of fearing. I'm tired of wondering. I need your rod and staff to comfort me as I wait before you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. I love you, Lord. Oh, your mercy never fails me. In all my days, I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I Thank you for your presence. Thank you for answered prayer. Thank you for your promises. Lord, we hold on to those promises no matter where we find ourselves today. God, we've been in a great experience in your presence, in your sanctuary. And this week, Lord, there are battles to be fought, Lord. There's victories to be won. There's a ministry to be done as we walk out these doors today. You bring us back again to your sanctuary. Lord, help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to have our spiritual ears open to hear your voice. And help us to hear and to read and to see your word and not the word from the world. What you say is more real than anything else. We thank you for your hope. We thank you for your strength, your refreshing we thank you for miracles. Answer prayers. In Jesus' name.